0: How Philippians chapter Two uh, we used the same uh, scriptures in our Sunday school lesson this morning, but uh, I wrote this before I read the Sunday school lesson, so that's the way it goes. Philippians chapter two verses I wrote the sermon before we did a Sunday school lesson study. so your attitude should be the same as that of Christ jesus so um, what and, and, and I, I could just stop right there and what is the attitude of Christ? see most of the time, we have, if you, if you ask people, if you ask all of us, sit down, gave you a slip of paper, and you write out, what is the attitude of Jesus Christ? What is it, what would it be like to be a friend of Jesus Christ? What would his attitude be like? So, if you were the best friend of Jesus, what would you be telling us about him? If Jesus were, had uh, a number of little children around him. What would the little children be saying about Jesus? You know, what would he? What would be some of his comments? Now, some of our comments. You know, uh, I, I there was. You know, I have this laugh radio on uh, on because I have the car and it's a new car and I get a couple months free and all that kind of stuff. There's laugh radio. Well, and and on this laugh radio, it's uh, you know. Clean jokes. It's clean. Whatever. So they they talk about you know uh, what are some of the phrases you grew up with as a child, you know. And uh, I, don't, I don't remember. The only ones I remember are the, some of the ones that were used on me. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. <laughs> you know that one. Everybody heard that one before. All right. Yeah. So okay. What are some other phrases we grew up with? Children are to be seen and not heard. Uh, What else? Yeah, because I said so. Does any of you need to write these down in case you need them? No. (laughs) Because I said so. What else? What are some other ones? I'm the parent and you're the child. That's a good one. Uh, What's that? Your face is going to freeze that way. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, stop your crying or I'll beat you some more. Or I'll get you something to cry about, you know. <laughs> now, these are things that not necessarily were used on us. We just know them from you know, from someone else, hearing other parents. Oh. <laughs> well, I know that if my my if my dad, my, I told you about my brother and my dad. My my brother was the my brother next to me. Um, he he's you know he's uh, since you know he's died he died with cancer a number of years ago. So yeah, I know you can't speak ill of the dead, but my brother was the worst. <laughs> you know, you know, if there were child abuse, my dad would be in jail. I mean, you know, back then, but. You know, but he you know, he just he wouldn't he wouldn't he just wouldn't listen. And my dad was my, my dad was one of those individuals that we, we took in you know, my dad worked two jobs. He worked in the coal mines, uh, you know, forty hours a week, drove to work, you know, all that kind of stuff. We had a farm, we farmed oh, at least two hundred acres. We milked anywhere from thirty some to sixty some head of cattle. Uh, morning and night, and I mean, you know, that's a lot of work, you know, and plus being in the mines, coming home, and, you know, the hay, and bringing in the hay, and the, you know, all the planting of the crops, and harvesting of the crops, we were, you know, he was, he was always on the, you know, he was always right there, he was a boss in the mines, so it was a lot of pressure on him, and I remember, we would always take, my dad was a softy, though, he would always take in people, and, you know, there, for whatever reason, I don't know how we got on this list, but there was a there was a judge um, in in Homer City, would give people to my dad. Instead of going to jail, they would come to our house. <laughs> you know, I always wondered why, Dad. You know. <laughs> so anyhow, we had this. I remember this one guy. His name I won't tell his last name. His name was George, and and he was the biggest liar. I mean, he he told lies. I mean, he was in the military. He was in. He was in the Special Forces. He was in Vietnam. He was in all that. He wasn't in any of that stuff. But, you know, he had this story, you know, and he will always tell you, and he's the one who stole all of my silver dollars. I had like 25 silver dollars that were 1800s, early 1900s that were gifts to me, and I had these special silver dollars. George stole them. I have a special place in my heart for George. but uh, <laughs> But I remember George... Coming in, you know, and my dad, you know, the barn, barn work is not easy, you know. If we now have machinery to do all this stuff, but whenever I was a kid growing up, you had to shovel manure with a pitchfork. And you would go in and you would have pens where the cattle, cows had been all winter, and that, that stuff level layers up. And you wonder how that the ceiling got so close to the cows. It wasn't that the ceiling was coming down, it was that the floor was coming up. So you had to take that floor back down to ground level. And so you would have to pitch manure into the wagon, into the, into the uh, manure spreader, okay? So uh, I know what it is like to shovel manure for a long periods of time, <laughs> as in days. But you know, there was a distinct aroma that came from this. <laughs> one that you never really, once you got used to it, you didn't even know it. Well, one day George decides He's had enough of it. So he comes into the house, doesn't take off his boots, walks into the kitchen and sits down at the table, doesn't wash his hands, doesn't take change. You have to, usually when you're doing that, you have to change things before you come in the house. George sits down he says, I ain't going back to the barn to my dad. <laughs> I'll never forget, my dad got up reached across the table, grabbed George, and pulled him up. And he says, you either pitch manure or pack your bags. George went to the barn. (laughs) So it was one of those things. My dad was, you know, he was a very compassionate guy. He was a very kind guy. We had like 18 children stay with us. We had people stay with us that should have never stayed with us. I remember there's this one guy. This isn't my sermon. I don't know what I have to do with my sermon. But anyhow, there was this one guy, and I don't remember his name, and we got him from Torrance. Okay? Torrance is a state mental hospital, okay? And and what? Your mom works there. Yeah. Well, she knows some of the people (laughs) that we had. And there was this guy, he came in, he came to the came to the house. And he was—he he had a very large stomach, much larger than mine, and I'm not trying to get there, believe me. But anyhow, I, I remember him, and, and, and he would—he would roll his bread on his belly, <laughs> you know. And and I, you know, I watched him do this. He was quite apt, ad, adapted at it, you know. But he was a guy that my dad told him to tie up the calf, you know, tie up the calf in the barn. So this individual, he took the calf, and put the rope around its neck and tied it up to the rafter. And it couldn't lay down. It was running around like this here. <laughs> and my dad found it, and we called Torrance and had him taken back. But <laughs> these were the kind... I mean, my dad, you, you know, if there, was, there wasn't a softer guy around as far as take, you know, taking in children, taking in needy people. Um, we, we had people, you know, that my, my parents and them had... My grandmother and grandfather lived with us for you know fifteen twenty years. Um, they you know there was no retirement or things like that. My grandfather couldn't work anymore, had a stroke. He lived with us, and they just you know there was no expense, no rent like that. It was just family. Then on Sundays, you never knew who was going to show up on Sundays for meals. You could have five people, you could have twenty people just show up for lunch on Sunday afternoon, and it was just you know people just coming and going. So. What is, as we look at this, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. What is the attitude of Jesus Christ? If you were saying, you know, if you were writing it down, what would you think of? What would you think of an attitude? What would he be like? Is he, a, you know, is God a condemning God? Is God a loving, you know, we know that God is love. Well, what does love mean? And how does love Discipline. How does love give freedom of choice? How does love work in an environment where there has to be direction? God has to direct our lives because, you know, we can get kind of crazy with who we are and we can get kind of off balance as to what we do in our lives. So what does love look like? What is an attitude of Jesus? Well, one of the attitudes we see here is... He, being the very nature of God, he being God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped at. So Jesus knows he is God. He is, he and God are the same. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, triune being, one God, yet separate. He is God, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So what is the attitude of Jesus? He is God, but gave up all of that to become like us, and the reason he became like us is that he could die. Being God, he cannot die. He is eternal. Being God, he does not have to suffer pain. He doesn't have to suffer disappointment or what we would consider failure or rejection. He has to become man in order to experience those things. So he gave up the divinity so that he could become like us. And it is this type of experiences that, I mean, if you look then, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, is another another scripture. But your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That we have a relationship with God that puts us, places us on a level, on a level, on a plane that that far surpasses anything we can attain on our own. But in this relationship that we have with God, it enables us to come and to take on the attitude of a servant, of serving one another. And today being Father's Day, we are looking at how that we as fathers relate to our children. See, uh, my kids, I'm talking about me today because I'm preaching. Uh, (laughs) No, no. But you know, men are—we're project-oriented. You know, men are, men are mostly project-oriented. You have a bunch of men getting together Wednesday night. Men are coming together. What do we have to do? We have to have a project. We're all going to come together and we're going to put the tents up, all right? What do you do for women? We're meeting. Nobody asks what for. <laughs> you know, ladies can call a meeting and they don't have to have a reason to get together. <laughs> and and, and, and it's like one of those things that because men mostly have to have projects and things that they can gather around you don't gather around a conversation you know, ladies can gather around conversations and gather around my wife, we were at this wedding and there was a lady sat next to her and neither one of them were verbally challenged (laughs) (laughs) they talked all evening, you know they had a great time she met a new friend but my, my wife is the kind of person that there's, there's no strangers, just people she hasn't met yet. And, you know, it's just one of those things. And that's a good thing, you know. And, and that's, that's a very good, um, uh, a good personality or approach to have. You know, but for me, there has to be a project. So, you know, the, my kids feel there has to be a project. We went out to visit David and Jenny. And I got out there, and David had started a ditch on the side of his house because the neighbors... You know, in, in this development where he lives, it's all downhill. And the neighbors, uh, their downspout drains right down the hill into the back of David's house. And when it rains, there's puddles of water there. And in the wintertime, it's just a muddy mess. So my last visit, I said, oh, you should put a ditch in here. And I was thinking of maybe a six-inch ditch, you know, and put a little stone in there and let it run out. So when I got there, David had started a ditch. It was a foot deep. He had about 10 feet dug. He had a foot, foot, you know, about ten feet dug, and 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 it was started. Hey, Dad, we have a project. (laughs) Sixty feet need to be dug, (laughs) and uh, and we're going to make it a foot deep and and about eight inches wide, and we're going to put a put a pipe in the bottom, and we're going to fill it in with stone. And he had like two over two ton, two and a half ton of stone in the driveway. Okay, we got two days. Dad had a project. And we got it done. Uh, We go to Rachel's, and it's the same thing. You know, Dad's not happy unless he has a project. And, you know, but, and I don't, you know, again, I like projects. I like to do things. Men like, you know, many men like to have projects. But we're looking at, and the title of my sermon is The Power of Presence. The Power of Presence. What does your presence mean? to the individuals you are with, and especially with your, with your children. One guy wrote this, and I, I read this because I'm a 62-year-old father, 61, uh, grandfather. And uh, so some of you are much younger than that. So I found this that a, a much younger individual, who is, happens to be, I think, 40, uh, wrote. He says, he found himself in an uncomfortable situation. He said, definitely out of my comfort zone and in way over my head. The reason for my anxiety, this is him writing, uh, the Nintendo Wii, <laughs> that's the W-I-I, isn't that Wii? Okay, just want to make sure. He said, my son turned 11 and scored a Wii for his birthday and it was time for dad to take a turn. I, I was given the controller and in no time, At all, I lost all my lives and allowed the virtual galaxy to be run amok. (laughs) For some reason, age possibly, I just couldn't get it. My son was quite gracious in this moment. Dad, it's okay. Just sit there with me and watch and you'll get it. I know you will. And so I did. I sat and watched and sat and watched and sat and watched. (laughs) I still don't entirely understand how to maneuver somebody called Mario, but I'm only 41. I've still got time. (laughs) <laughs> the power of presence the scriptures speaks of our attitude being the same as that of christ he says who being in the very nature of god made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness do you think that jesus ever feels out of place with us do you think that jesus ever feels out of place with us i mean he's god Surely he would be out of place with me. But, you see, he's not. And when Jesus was here, when he was walking the earth, who did he feel out of place with? He felt out of place, had his most confrontational times with religious people. And the religious people had their very difficult time with him because he didn't come the way they wanted him to. And see, that's why it's important that we challenge our thoughts about what we think about God. Because most of the time, our thoughts about God are not His thoughts. And that's why we need to read the Scripture, we need to have devotionals, and we need to have devotionals with our children, and our children have devotionals with themselves and with us. Because it's important that we understand who this is that we're talking about. You know, some people have been abused, you know, under the authority of a, pers- of, of a father figure. Maybe physically, maybe sexually, maybe just abandoned. And sometimes that, that type of image carries over to, well, that must be what God is like. It's not true at all. You know, they may have suffered things under that, a, a person who, who thinks of themselves or has a father figure. And that's why it's important that we know what our father because even though it's the same word, is an entirely different perspective. God, our Father, is one who loves us. He knows us completely. He knows the very hairs of our head. <laughs> to those of us who are follically challenged, that's a new word, <laughs> follicles. Hair follicles. Okay, to so those of you who don't know that, bald, Okay, uh, so to those of us who are follically challenged, <laughs> Hi, Jose. <laughs> God knows the very hairs of our head and He loves us just the same. He know- but you see, the, the reason that we feel out of place with something or someone is because we're not in a familiar setting. God is always familiar with us because God has always been with us. Even though we did not or were not with him or didn't even acknowledge him, God has been there with us. He desires to be in that relationship with everyone. It is not the will of God that any should perish. So those who are the worst of sinners, God is there with them challenging and charging them and, and convicting them. But they refuse to obey, they refuse to listen. You know, and in the end, when it's all said and done and we all stand before God, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In the end, everyone is going to bow before God, and and some of them are going to say, Well, God, you never and they will remember every time the Spirit of God spoke to their heart, tried to redirect their path, tried to bring them into a relationship with God. Every time God was rejected in their life, they will remember it. So there will not one person ever be able to say, God, you never tried to reach me. No one will ever be able to say that. So God is at work trying to reach us. So God is not uncomfortable with you because He knows us. He knows you. He's been there all the time. And you see, whenever we think about our relationship with others, it is a relationship of familiarity, that we are familiar with our children, our grandchildren. We are familiar with children. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize this, and I, um, one of the missionaries that was here... Um, The ones that are going to Georgia. What's that? Ocasio. Ocasio. They have written me and written Rhonda and I a couple of different times. Their children still speak of being here and being with us at lunch because they have been in many different churches, but they never had a pastor pay attention to their children. You know? I'm always hanging on them. You know, hey, I'm over here. You know, I'm over here. You know, and you know, I think it's just what you're, you know, I think it's what you're supposed to do because I, you know, you like kids. <laughs> you know, like your children. You want, you know, whatever is necessary for our children, our teens, whomever, whatever is necessary for them. You know, whether it's vacation Bible school or going to, going to. Um, Hershey for the youth convention, whether it's whatever they need, we want to do it for them because we don't want to ever have an obstacle that stands in the way of our children. Whatever you want. There's a youth camp that goes on in the summer. Whatever you want, let us know. We'll try and find a way to get you there because what goes on in your life now will shape you forever. Because I remember growing up in the church and some of my church experiences were... "Eh." You know, but some of them were the foundational experiences that have kept me all these years. Sure, we have bad experiences, you know, but that doesn't change who God is. We've got to know the difference. So an attitude an attitude of giving. Um, the power of the presence of God is the power of God's presence, wanting to give to us, impart to us his life impart to us forgiveness impart to us so whenever we think of what is it like to know Jesus some people who have never thought about God that their idea of God would be knowing you <laughs> so that's why it's important that we have this understanding of what it is like to know God and be reflective of that because that's what it is like in many people's lives. To know God is to know you. And for fathers and grandfathers and men, young boys, to know God, you're an example. We are examples. We are lights that shine in darkness. An attitude of giving, an attitude of caring, an attitude of being different. You know, in my um, in my senior class in high school, I I... I I was, you know, I was basically the, the only I thought I was the only Christian. But out of that, out of our class, we now have six preachers. And there were sixty-seven in our class. There's not a big high school class. But I think we have there's six, six or seven guys who are in the ministry out of out of our class. Now I don't know what effect. I know them all. We played sports together. Uh, at the time that we played sports, they were not attending church or not that I knew that they were attending church. But how many people were affected by that? I don't know. Whether it was by me or hopefully I had some input. But they're still my friends. They're still people that I know. And they're you know, and they're in, in, in the ministry. And was it high school? I don't know. I was no, I was no outstanding person. I was just me trying to get through... Oh, I was talking about. I don't know. This is another subject. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Uh, this this individual that was at our co- chaplains conference. He's the attorney for the Assemblies of God. He's the attorney for the Assemblies of God. And when he was in eleventh grade, they told him he was he, that he was uneducable. <laughs> uneducable. He was. I don't like to use the word stupid. He used the word stupid, that that's what some of his teachers told him, that he was stupid, and that he would never amount to anything. In the 11th grade, he found Jesus. I mean, he, you know, he was led to Christ, confessed his sins, had a relationship with Jesus Christ, read the book of James, and in the book of James, it says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And that verse so impressed him that he needed the wisdom of God to pull his thoughts together, the man was a genius. The man is an absolute genius. People didn't know how to teach him. And he got into Harvard Law School as a special needs student. Harvard Law School is a special needs student. And he graduated, I'm sure, straight A's. He reads every, every legal document there is. He, has, he knows it. He's read it. He, um, he sits on national boards appointed by the government, by the, by, the, you know, by the Washington. He sits on national boards. He's written over 100 books, co-authored and written over 100 books. And in the 11th grade, they told him he was uneducable. See, what happens... So there's hope for us, right? <laughs> so what happens... Who believes in someone enough to bring them from that place to another? Who believe, and it's that relationship with God that has an, has a life changing experience. And and it it is it was you know. And we talk about how that we put things in perspective, we put things in balance. It, to know God is is to love God, and to experience God's love is to change us. And to experience God's word is a way of changing our life. And, and it is a life-changing-changing changing experience. We are examples for Christ. We have opportunity. Let us do good unto all men. So children learn from what they see. Um, children learn from what they hear. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Uh, Psalm 133. How wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. <laughs> Uh, that 's talking about adult brothers and sisters in the Lord, not kids. <laughs> I remember any of you have brothers and sisters? How many have brothers and sisters? all right, all right. Uh, did you ever have the back seat divided don 't cross that line. Uh, if I stop this car, you know what 's going to happen don 't you? <laughs> One guy said he had a fly swater because he couldn 't reach the kids. <laughs> <laughs> don't cross that line i mean we've all been there and you know rachel and david i, I think they you know they it was one of those things rachel rachel always had david around the neck i mean she was always dragging him around you know <laughs> and she was always the boss and always telling him what to do and we didn't find this out till many years later because they used to say rachel you've got to someday he's just gonna up and hit you you know, Rachel, you know, Rachel. You know, she's, just, she's just this little five-foot dynamite. In, in Oklahoma, she taught special needs high school students. And in her class, there were some of these six-foot-six ghetto people from the inner city and, spirit, and spiritually retarded and mentally retarded. And they called her Badger because you never wanted to corner her. <laughs> and I saw her at work. She was right up there. She would tell these kids and order them. She'd point her finger right up under their chin. She couldn't even reach their head, and she's reaching their chin. And she's telling them, and they're backing off Yes, you know. They're backing into a corner, you know. But one day, but they, they, Rachel and David, you know, she'd always have David around the head, dragging him around. I says someday he's going to hit. He's going to just nuff's enough. And they told us later he did. <laughs> he flattened her. <laughs> Well, he didn't flatten her. He hit her. (laughs) But uh, they never told us about that, uh, not until they were grown up. But when they were in college, they lived together, and they became the closest and best of friends and still are to this day. But when they were growing up, you never thought they'd ever talk to each other. You know, whatever. But being an example and being a father, being a family, putting things together. and, And the most important things. Ask for forgiveness when you are wrong. Be human. (laughs) Be a person. Because what are we going to do? We're trying to teach our children. We teach them by example. Be wise. Seek input from others in the family. The final decision is yours. But we need to know what other people think. Because how can we teach? How do you learn how to make decisions if you don't learn the process of what and how? It's not a dictatorship, and they need to know, people need to know how to choose. There was a class, it's called Failure 101, Failure 101, and the whole purpose of the class was to have students fail, not the class, but fail at a project. Success is much easier to handle than failure. And how do we deal with when things don't go right? And Sometimes in our families, those same things happen. And we're up and honest with what's going on. Power of presence. When you know how to live and love and be there. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of a good report, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, think on these things. And one other thing. This guy, same guy that wrote the first one that I read, is the same guy who wrote this one. He says, my daughter asked me to look through a catalog with her. Just sit with me, Dad. This will only take a minute. (laughs) She had circled a sweater that caught her eye and wanted to make sure that it was on my holiday radar. And so I did. We sat and looked at every page until we came to the reason for our sit-down. The correct size and color were emphasized, followed by a hug around the neck, a kiss on the cheek, and something like, you're the greatest dad ever. Daughters are smart, huh? Remember, kids are gracious, and we're learning. There's no manual. Did any of you get the manual? (laughs) In in the manual, you throw it away with each kid because each one's different. So we are learning. Learning how to... Uh, how utterly vital it is to them that the Father set aside adult privileges and sit for a while and humble ourselves and enter their world. We don't have to get a high score or even like hoodies. (laughs) We just have to be there. With them, your presence... Sit there with them. Your presence is passing along something to them That may really be close to the words L O V E. Jackson, my grandson, is not here to say, All done, Papa. (laughs) But he is great for, Papa, sit here. (laughs) Papa, sit here. And there's something we can learn from Father's Day. Papa, sit here. Pray with your children. Let your children pray with you. Hear their prayers. Get a devotional. Read the devotional. Read it, talk about it. let them let. It's more important. You see, communication is a two-way street. Not only do other people, each other speak, but hopefully, hopefully, each other listen.